Again, good morning. Third time's a charm, right? Good morning. Um, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's from Philippians 3.21. And I am still going through the confession of faith in a Mennonite perspective. I haven't been saying the articles. Trust me, they're in there. Um, but I have been using the Bible verses um, some of them focusing on them more than others. And if you've noticed, I haven't really read anything straight out of our Confession of Faith in a Mennonite Perspective. You're welcome to look at those. But I've been doing a little experiment with this on my own, and you're subject to my little quirks and whims, unfortunately for you. And it, it's, it's not all about me. But at the same time, um, just using the verses that are provided, and I read the articles. I, I read them often, actually. But sometimes it's fun to see what you believe as it's written by someone else as opposed to what you draw on it from the same scriptures. So that's been a little fun for me. But I would highly encourage you to look at the uh, articles as well. Um, because, you know, it does say Mennonite on our sign. Right. Um, but the way we live should say Jesus, which is more important. Far more important. Um, I borrow this phrase from a man I never met, but Rob got to know who said, uh, I became an Anabaptist the old-fashioned way. I chose it. I wasn't born here. I, I actually was a Christian before I was a Mennonite. And uh, when I'm dead and gone, and uh, I'll still be a Christian, but I won't be a Mennonite anymore. I love this tradition. I picked it on purpose, but it's secondary. It's secondary to the call Jesus has in my life. And I would love to field any questions or accusations you have around that. Please just let me know. Um, I don't actually anticipate any accusations, but I'm open to them. This is how I grow as a person, how I know what I believe. The first place I'm going to go is actually Psalm 1. And of course, the uh, article is called spirituality, which is a very vague term, spirituality. We use it all the time. People that have vague notions about God will say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. To which I'm curious to where the rubber meets the road on that comment. Because you can be really superstitious and be spiritual. Right. Um, and I'm going to borrow a joke from a comedian. Uh, I'm not going to tell you which one because I'm not endorsing all of his material. But he says when a girl tells him she's not uh, she's not religious, but she's spiritual, he says, oh, I'm not I'm not honest, but I'm interested. Anyway, um, from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. This is how Psalm starts. Proverbs starts with the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm starts with blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. I don't see those as dissimilar. <laughs> nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. 
He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? The first three verses of Psalm 1 give us something to aspire to. It gives us a model, right? Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't stand in the path of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. You will be fruitful. Everything you do won't wither away. And then we get to verse 4. The ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So if we look back to the title, which is spirituality, this seems almost more like it would fit from last week, which is discipleship and Christian living, correct? Am I the only one that feels like the first instinct I get when I read this is it tells us about Christian living? These aren't separate. They're broken into separate articles. None of it's separate. It's all together. Right? Spirituality, proper healthy spirituality, actually stems from discipleship and Christian living. It's a part of it. They're not detached in any way. And I quote my friend Tim a lot on this, how he talks about how we got a misunderstanding of spirituality simply based on how we think about our soul. We think about our soul as an extension of us, something that you pick up for an hour and a half on Sunday and then you put it back in the spirituality corner. And sometimes you pick it up on Tuesday or Wednesday night or right before meals and then you put it back in its little corner. When in reality, you're not a body that has a soul. You are a soul that temporarily has a body. And if you can learn to think about everything you do is a spiritual act. Last night, I enjoyed the spiritual act of eating macaroni and cheese. Now, that sounds almost irreverent, but I didn't unplug my spirit. I didn't unplug my soul to have dinner last night, and neither did you. Right? Everything you do is a spiritual act because your spirit, your soul is with you the entire time. You can't engage in truck stop humor and then go put on your, your nice shirt and come into church with the expectation that your spiritual life's good because you just drug your soul through the mud also. No offense to truckers. I'm sure not everyone at a truck stop is foul. I was a, just a old, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? phrase truck stop humor anybody ever heard that before okay just like not everybody in a locker room is a horrible person it's just when you say locker room humor people know what you mean maybe i worry too much about offending people based on their careers it's all right The next place I'm actually turning to is Galatians 5. Now, I'm not going to read as much of Galatians 5 as I could. In fact, I even broke it down to uh, verses 19 through 26. That is not true. Uh, <laughs> I'm going back further than that. Um, 
I'm actually going to start at verse 13. In Galatians 5, go eat peaches and cream, right? It's in there. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. So we have all this liberty that God gives us because we're not under the law like we used to be, right? But don't use your liberty as an opportunity to be a sinner because God forgives us so easily, so readily. Use your liberty as an opportunity through love to serve one another. I can walk further than prescribed in Leviticus on the Sabbath. Maybe I should use that time to walk a little further and tell someone what's happening. Because honestly, our church would be pretty empty if we still followed that that, uh, distance protocol. We would either have to sleep in the parking lot or this church would be a lot emptier because most of you probably live further than a half a mile away from here. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be condemned by one another. I think verse 15 is really applicable to the American church and probably churches in other countries too, but I don't go to those. I am a byproduct of American church. I've gone to just about every flavor of American church within my lifetime, either as a visitor or as an attendee, or as a student of theology of some kind or another. I've been in almost every flavor of Christian church that is out there. And the thing that seems most consistent is that we claim verse 14 while we practice verse 15. We love our neighbor as ourself. Well, we backbite ourselves a lot then. And this isn't to condemn you. I'm here too, right? We need to be wary about backbiting. Accountability and backbiting are different. Prayer requests and gossip are actually different. We need to really watch what we're doing in these areas. It's very easy to become a gossip. Well, you know what so-and-so did. Goodness. And it tickles your, your, your brain a little bit. And we don't even get enough gossip with one another that we have to watch TV shows that are based on it. High drama and gossip and backbiting. If people can't write it fantastically enough, then you'll watch a reality show that highlights gossip, backbiting, drama, immorality. I do love the announcer guy's voice, though. There's something very amazing in a world. Yes. Anyway, back to verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Oh, there is a, a clipboard going around right now for the alumni dinner. If you want to, go ahead and sign up for it. If you'd rather look at it after church, just pass it along or give the, I don't want to touch that view. Just let it keep going. And you can find Kristen at the end if you don't want to participate during the service. 
But if not, just let it keep moving. Um, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do you not fulfill the lust of the flesh? It isn't by making a list of all the things that you do not absolutely never do, right? Because don't think about purple monkeys. What are you thinking about? Well, purple monkeys. Maybe it should be more about how do I follow Christ as closely as possible today? Maybe that should be my list. One thing, follow Christ today. Boom. I didn't have to worry about don't cuss, don't drink, don't swear, don't whatever it is. All I got to worry about is, am I walking by the Spirit? Am I serving Christ? Am I loving the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength? Am I loving my neighbor as myself? If you don't like to write, all you'd have to write is greatest commandment. Maybe that should be our list of things to do, a to-do list. Walk in the Spirit, not according to the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That is interesting, isn't it? We're guilty of the law. That's how we know we're sinners. This is a really important verse that you rarely hear people bring up. People are like, well, are we under the law? Well, no, we're not under the law. Well, why aren't we under the law? If you're walking according to the Spirit, then you're not under the law. Otherwise, the law condemns us all, does it not? That's how we know that we need a Savior is because the law condemns us, but Jesus saves us. If we're walking according to the Spirit then we're not under the law. If we are following Christ with all our heart, we're not under the law. Not because the law doesn't exist, but because it doesn't pertain to us anymore because we're following in spirit and in truth. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Idolatry, Sorcery, hatred, huh? Contentiousness, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, and heresies. Do you think it's funny that along with adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, adultery, sorcery, hatred, now, none of you probably have a magic book at home and are going to start like doing incantations and spells when you get home, but someone might cut you off on the way home. You might hate that person. Hatred is really easy, but it's in that same list and not given a lesser value as far as sinfulness goes than sorcery, adultery, right? Sorcery, adultery, fornication, hatred. I'm not a sorcerer. I get mad. There have been times in my life where I know I had outbursts of wrath. Glass doesn't just break itself, people. Anybody else like to punch walls when they're angry? I'm not saying now. I'm saying, you know, before. Anybody ever punch walls? Anybody ever break pictures, throw things, kick the dirt, kick the dog if you're awful? No one else? 
You guys are being modest. I know in some of your house, you probably have four little dots along the drywall near the door frames, too. Those four little dots aren't weird hammer misses. Those are your knuckles, and I know it. Mine are big, misshapen, and arthritic. They didn't get that way on their own. By the grace of God, though, I'm a much calmer person. Sometimes I raise my voice unnecessarily, which I should work on, right? In the context of which I read scripture now, when I hear about wrath, I should work on that. Maybe not overly celebrate that I'm not breaking the picture frames, but just maybe refocus. God's delivered me from that style of wrath. Maybe now I need to work a little harder on or allow God to work on me a little harder in the areas of just raising my voice unnecessarily. Answering with anger in situations that truly don't call for it. God has done an amazing work on me. Not because I'm perfect, but boy, oh boy. The things that I would celebrate about myself were in this list sometimes, and it's not, it's not great. It's not great. All the while, I would have told you I was a Christian. But if you surrender yourself to Christ and you walk in the Spirit, these things will cut themselves out of your life. If you're focusing on Christ, you don't have to focus on, don't do this. Well, if you know it's wrong, well, don't do that, obviously. But if you're trying to serve God, you don't have time. You're going to find the things that aren't serving God to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Opposed to the things that you're already doing. A friend of mine once, I'm not going to tell you who he was or where we were, extended the invitation for me, uh, let's go to church and then get drunk. Because that's where he was at spiritually. And no, I didn't go. Um, but, And it's not because I'm better than him. That's where he was at in his thinking. It's easy to judge somebody who comes out with a statement like that, isn't it? But what you don't know is a couple weeks before that, he would have just said, hey, let's go get drunk. He'd inserted something new. So that is a work in progress, but it's a work in progress that you don't need to be a part of necessarily, at least not the whole thing. And that just, I just remembered that. I hadn't thought about that in years. Hey, let's go to church and then get drunk. What? <laughs> I was raised in church. That struck me strange. <laughs> It's like, what? <laughs> Anyhow. Oh. Also on this uh, list is selfish ambitions. Selfish ambitions. Who doesn't have selfish ambitions? Who doesn't have selfish ambitions? These are not good. <laughs> what, what is our ambition in life? This doesn't tell you not to have goals. This doesn't tell you not to work hard, but selfish ambitions. For me, a selfish ambition is that I really like the 66 Mustang and cherry red. In my head, for whatever reason, greatest car ever made. That is a selfish ambition. 
it gets like, what, 10 miles to the gallon on a good day? You know how hard they're getting to find? Do I need one? No, that's a selfish ambition. Well, you deserve good things. Do I? No, I don't. Let's not talk about what I deserve. What I deserve is bad. What I deserve is very bad. We don't want what we deserve. And I'm not telling you not to have nice things. I'm just saying in my life, that would be a selfish ambition. It serves no practical purpose. It does not further the kingdom of God. I just really like it. And I know at least one of you is thinking about how much better a Corvette is. At least one of you. Anyhow. Oh, in this list, we also have dissensions. Dissensions. You know how many churches split? You know how many Mennonite churches split? I'm aware of at least one Mennonite church in our conferences across the street from another Mennonite church that split back in the 50s or 60s over whether or not they should have Sunday school. Is that dissension? They're both great churches. They both love Jesus, but that's dissension. Heresies. Heresies are things that aren't true. (laughs) Heresies are... kind of interwoven into so much of what we inherently believe based on what we hear people say about the Bible. Heresies are dangerous untruths. It isn't being incorrect. Being incorrect and being a heretic are different. If I am ever blaspheming the Holy Spirit or taking away glory from God, I am committing heresy. That is a scary place to find yourself. Envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you before, just as I told you in past time, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a little scary, isn't it? Envy? Envy and murder are on the same list. You might not have ever murdered anyone. Do you envy them? Do you covet the things they have? I'll answer for you. Yes, you do. Or you have. And here's the good list that makes a nice bumper sticker, t-shirt, and wall painting. And these are the things we are to aspire to. And if we focus on aspiring to this list of things, the other one isn't going to need to be the focus, right? We know what we're not to do. Now let's look at what we're supposed to do so we don't have time to worry about the other garbage, right? There's two ways of thinking about things. I can't do that. I absolutely cannot do that. So you spend all your time thinking about ways that you're not going to do that. And then there's other things of, I'm going to go do this over here, and I'm going to do this over here really well, and then you never think about that over there. 
here's the list of that thing that you're supposed to be doing over here. So that over there isn't even in your picture. It isn't even in your vision. Are you ready? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is apparently the antonym of all of the other things on the other list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us be, not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. It's interesting. Uh, verse 24 says, those who are Christ have been crucified with the, in the flesh. We uh, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Does this mean you won't be tempted? Well, no. Christ himself was tempted, correct? This doesn't mean that you will not be tempted. It doesn't mean that you won't stumble. It doesn't mean that you won't sin again someday. But if we're crucified with Christ, we have crucified the flesh with its passions. We've given it up. It's dead. It's supposed to be dead. It's supposed to be gone. And if you have a sin or a struggle that you've struggled with your whole life and you're still struggling with it, I'm not telling you you're not a Christian. I'm just saying that that's supposed to be dead in your life. It has no power. It has no authority here. Let it die. I've tried very hard not to not to live any longer with a Christianity that's a list and a hierarchy of things that should be done and shouldn't be done and should be done and shouldn't be done and should be done and shouldn't be done. And some people's brain works that way. And you need to know what sin is. You, in fact, do know what sin is. And you're not supposed to go after sin. We're supposed to be going after Jesus to, to follow with all that we are. To be more like him. That is beyond a full-time job. That in itself. If you're reading the scriptures, if you're reading the gospels and you're seeing Jesus did this. Why am I not doing this? And I'm not saying you're going to be able to successfully heal sick people. But you can call them. You might not be able to feed all the hungry people. You might not be able to feed a multitude, but you could take someone dinner. You could take someone out to dinner. One of Jesus' biggest ministries was to people that felt on the outside. People that didn't have people. People that worked the wrong job. You can be friends with those people. You can provide for people. It's so much harder than just making a list. It's so much better than just making a list. I am in Matthew 5. 
which we know is the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, what have you. Chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are people that know their place before a holy God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry, that who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Both of those are desperate needs. If you're hungry, you can't think of anything else. If you're thirsty, it's worse than hunger. You can't think of anything else. You even start to get weak when you're thirsty because all you are is consumed with how dry your throat is, how desperately you want something to drink. These are the words that Jesus uses to describe how you should be pursuing righteousness. Is with a thirst. It is an ever-present need. It doesn't go away. You are desperate for it. You are desperate for righteousness. For they shall be filled. All right, so blessed are those who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, so, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecuted for righteousness' sake isn't just paying the consequences for your bad choices. That's not the same thing. Some people confuse that. There's a world of difference between someone being a jerk back to you and being persecuted because you're a Christian. They're different. Persecution is real. It happens. To varying levels. Every now and again, one of my students will get made fun of on the bus because they go to a Christian school. Somewhere in the Middle East, someone's getting their head cut off right now for praying. Bus doesn't seem so bad. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I'm getting this feeling that if I'm seeking to be spiritually correct and if I'm following Christ as I should be, I should still expect bad things to happen. I should still expect persecutions. I should still expect people to hate me. Jesus was a perfect man who loved everyone and helped everyone. And they tortured him to death. This false expectation of everyone's going to love you is exactly what I just called it. It is a false expectation. Not everyone's going to love you. It doesn't matter what you do. Not everyone is going to love you. People who hate themselves are not going to love you. 
If hate is all you have, then it becomes your God and everybody gets a piece of it. Not everyone's going to love you. Jesus loves you. That means so much more. You are the salts of the earth, and if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's of no good to it's good for nothing except for to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So we're supposed to be visual. People are supposed to be able to see us from a great distance. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, so it gives light to all who are in the house. So I've heard many sermons on the purposes of salt. Some of them were really strange, and I enjoyed those too. But the purposes of this, uh, for salt in the ancient world, right? Salt makes things taste better. It preserves them. Those are the two main functions of salt. Preserving food, it makes things taste better. Have you ever eaten an egg with no salt? It's lacking. At very best, it is lacking. So we're supposed to be the salt of the earth. We're supposed to improve its flavor. We're supposed to enhance its flavor. We're supposed to keep it from rotting completely. City on a hill is something you can see from a great distance and travel towards. It gives you hope, particularly if you're in a desert and you see lights. That gives you hope. Being in a room where the light, uh, excuse me, it says don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a lampstand so it gives light to all who are in the house. Light doesn't discriminate. It doesn't shine over here and not over there. If it's like a lamp, I mean, obviously you can block the, the light by putting it under the basket. Anyway, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. Let your light shine before men. Let them see the good you're doing. But for this reason and not because it's going to make you look so good and it's going to make people love you. That's not the purpose. The purpose is said immediately. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. That is the reason to glorify your father in heaven. Sometimes we can get really caught up doing good works and start to feel really good about it. And I don't think it's sinful to feel good for helping people. But if that's why you're doing it solely so people can see it and they'll love me, that's wrong. It's to glorify God. Verse 17. Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot nor one tittle, some verses say iota, or some translations say iota, will no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever 
does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Scribes and Pharisees keep the law physically. That's what they do. They're blameless. Scribes and Pharisees do exactly as the law says. They do not walk too far on the Sabbath. I almost said Sunday. That's not right. They don't walk too far on the Sabbath. They don't eat the wrong things. They follow the traditions. They do everything to the letter, but no more. And they do it physically. Jesus tells us that our righteousness is supposed to exceed those people, not because they're vile and evil and awful and horrible. It's because it's all surface. They're doing all the right things on the outside, but their hearts are far from him. Our righteousness has to exceed that, not to stop the good works, not to stop doing good things. But it has to come from having a right heart. All right. And then, oh, goodness, I'm going to skip ahead. To verse 43. Now I'm going to sum up. Murder begins in the heart. If you have had that sort of hate in your heart, which you have, I'm sure, at some point in your life, someone has made you that mad that you, like, I could kill them. You've committed murder. Adultery is in the heart. If you've looked lustfully on another human being, you've committed adultery in your heart. Marriage is sacred and binding. I'll be talking about that next week. Jesus forbids oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't need to swear by heaven and earth. If someone forces you to walk one mile, which Roman soldiers could do, they could force you to carry their burden from one mile marker to the next one. By law, as a conquered people, you would have to carry their stuff. If someone forces you to do one mile, do two. They have the right to make you do it. But don't stop. Go an extra mile. I'm going to come right to here. Love your enemies. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those that curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. And he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward is that? What reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Therefore, oh, excuse me. And if you agree, or if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. To be totally honest, I got a little bit nervous that I knew I was going to go with the topic of spirituality because I have spent time in charismatic camps and I have chips on my shoulder which isn't right. Not all the time. Spirituality isn't always feeling close to God. 
If you read scripture, most of the people who were very close to God didn't always feel close to God. King David did not always feel close to God, even when he wasn't sinning. Read the Psalms. If you can't relate to the Psalms, I don't know who you are. There is a Psalm for everyone in every occasion. And they show a whole view of how we can be praying in private. Because some of those, I would be nervous to pray, but God put them in his word as an example. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who hasn't felt that? Who hasn't felt that? And then it goes through this journey of emotion. And then it gives glory to God because God is on the throne. And we are not. And we don't understand what's happening. We don't understand what's happening. In Habakkuk and in Psalms, the writer talks about, give me feet like a deer, give me hinds feet. And I brought this up in the past and I'll bring it up over and over again. What they're praying isn't to make the path easy. They're not praying for a better path. They're praying for feet to handle the path that they're on. Don't change the path, change me. You ever wonder why they're praying for shade in the desert? It's because it's hot. <laughs> but they're not praying to be removed from the desert. They're praying for a little shade. It's not because the author was unaware of other places they could be. They weren't praying to be removed down to the seaside where they could get a cool breeze off the water, they were praying for a little shade so they could handle the environment that they're in. So much of the time when I pray, I'm not praying for shade, I'm praying for air conditioning. I want a different environment. I'm not praying for the strength to walk a distance, I'm praying for a ride. I think part of growth towards God is understanding that God sometimes has put us in these places or allowed us to get to these places that you wouldn't even wish on someone else. And understanding that God is still God and Jesus is still on the throne. And you're still the light of the world. You're still the city on a hill. Sorry, not the light of the world. That's Jesus himself, but he's in you. You're the salt of the earth, still. God has not left you. God has not forsaken you. He is not looking the other direction. He is not beyond doing something more important. He didn't stop loving you. Sometimes I feel like the best thing I should be doing is praying that God changes my feet. Because someone has to be on the path. Where, however messed up your path is, someone is going to be on it. Maybe you're equipped. Maybe you know how to pray to become equipped. Life is wretched and heartbreaking and exceedingly beautiful all at the same time.
But I think if we're going to try to get a proper spirituality, the biggest things we need to do are to remember that every act is a spiritual act. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. To love our neighbors as ourselves. And to be praying for the strength to flourish where God is placing us. I didn't know I had four points, but those are them. And that's what I have for you today. So if you can do so without pain, would you stand with me? Father God, I thank you for the truth of your words. I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you for your indwelling Holy Spirit. Father God, I thank you for the people that are here this morning. Lord, I pray that we, as we go out into the communities that you will make us, that you'll cause us to remember to be salty, to be the salt of the earth, that we can stand for truth in love. Father God, I pray that anything I said that was pet theology or unnecessary, I pray that it would be for quickly forgotten, but that the truth of your word would stand. I pray that you would help us to grow as a strong congregation. I pray that you would help me to grow into a stronger pastor. That the desire of our heart would be to, to be more like you. That we would be consumed by the desire to be more Christ-like. I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, that brings us to our time of announcements, prayer, and sharing, uh, which will be led by Albert Brenner. <clears throat>